Footy Prime, the podcast is brought to you by Tony Bet, official sponsor of the CPL and presenting sponsor of Canada's unofficial voice of footy. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, with Danny Ticchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Sitting in for Craig Forrest is Craig Forrest, but sitting in for James Sharman is Dan Wong. Today, we welcome Michael Toth and Mike Zinga, and I'm Jeff Cole. I talk for money. Let's have it. Well, there we go. It's uh, Footy Prime, episode 29. Jeff Cole is announcing, and we're not really sure what he just announced, but it was spectacular voice, <laughs> amazing voice. And uh, I am filling in for James Sharman. It's Dan Wong. And we've got crossover show number three, because not everything, we've got a lot of great stuff going on with football. We've got the Belarusians who are still playing, correct? And uh, today we have an amazing show. We have two of the most popular men in golf right now, and maybe in the sports world, two Canadians who are actually going to be moving forward with perhaps the first professional league or professional uh, event that has uh, that will go straight to broadcast. And that's Michael Tote, who's tournament director of the Charles Schwab Challenge, and Michael Zinga, who's the sales and sponsorship relationships director. And so, guys, thank you for being on, and welcome to Footy Prime. Thank you. So, so Michael, big question. Two Canadians running this. How did that happen? Well, it's a good question. You know, I uh, my sort of track record or timeline is college golf in the United States, played at a small school in Rome, Georgia, and then I interned for the American Junior Golf Association. They ran, or still do run, you know, junior golf tournaments all across the country, and some in Canada too. I think for the best junior golfers, sort of in the world, who are vying for college scholarships. And so I interned for them in '92 and three, and graduated in college in '95, and worked for the American Junior Golf Association, and just sort of kind of worked my way through the the golf ranks from an admin perspective and um, came back to Canada, worked for golf Canada. So I was fortunate enough to run all the amateur programs for at the time it was the RCJ is now golf Canada. So I got to see large cities, small towns, everybody kind of fired up and excited about golf at the amateur level. And a, a guy that I had built a relationship at horseshoe resort in Barrie who had moved on to Whistler golf club, Went to Singapore for to IMG in Singapore, golf course management, golf course design, and he called me out of the blue. My wife and I just got married in 2002, and he called me and said, hey, Tothi, I need, I need some help in Singapore. And my wife, who's American, had, had moved up to Canada. It was just getting cold. We were living in a condo in Burlington. She says, 
did he send through a, a job offer yet? I'm like, well, it's probably coming. She goes, can I sign it first? <laughs> so we went to Singapore for three years, loved it, worked for IMG. Then my wife uh, brought us back to San Antonio. She was the head women's golf coach at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and spent three years in San Antonio and started at Colonial in 2008 as director of sales and elevated to term director in 2012. And that's when we brought Mike on in, in 2012. So that's that's sort of how this all happened. And I think, you know, Fort Worth, Texas, if you told them 10 years, if you told them 20 years ago, two Canadians would be part of their golf tournament, no fucking way, no way. No chance. But and, and how did Zing how did you and Zing come together? Um I was at Golf Canada in ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine or two thousand. Yeah. And uh it was it was sort of dead of winter and I'm planning the two thousand schedule and all of a sudden I get a knock on my office door and it's HR introducing this the Mike Zinga, new director of sales for the Canadian Open. Bell Canadian Open at the time, RBC, uh, RBC Canadian Open now. And director of HR said, you guys have a lot in common. I said, well, how's that? She goes, well, and then Mike says, "I, you know, I'm married to an American like you. And we just sort of hit it off from there. And his path went one way and mine went the other. But we, we'd always just stayed in touch. And I think deep down inside, we both respected each other's uh, willingness to be a part of golf and the love and the passion. And we sort of kept in touch and he was at Doral and I was elevated to tournament director. I said, why don't you come to Fort Worth? He says, I'll be there next week. And so um, that's how it kind of happened. And, and Mike Ziga, uh, yeah. just a full have to tell everybody, we've been friends for about 20, 30 years now. Yeah. Uh, we were teammates on a Vanier Cup winning football team back at McGill. Yep. And yeah. 87. We chased, so you chased Michael Toth around all over, all over the United States till you hooked up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, for me, it was while I was the director of sales at the RCGA, he was running amateur championships. He left to go to Singapore. I eventually got offered a job, the U S senior open with the USGA in Seattle, Washington at Sahali country club. Uh, which uh, Bernard Longer won that event, and somewhere around that time, the it was uh, the the Olympics were in Vancouver, and Michael said, "Why don't we meet up and we'll go up to uh, Whistler?" And one of our friends was um, the Alpine Media Director. What's his name? Dornan, Chris Dornan. Chris Dornan, yeah. So he got us into the Canada House in Whistler. We stayed in a condo. We went to the bobsled run. And then we drove down that, that highway um, from uh, Whistler to uh, downtown Vancouver. He had tickets for the gold medal hockey game. I didn't. And so I went with one other guy into a Thai restaurant and watched the game. And it was, <laughs> it was awesome. And he went into the game with someone else and he got to watch it live. Uh, it was around that time he said, hey, if, if I get elevated to tournament director with the colonial event which is at what that time was a crown plaza invitational would you consider you know not being a director and doing sales i'm like absolutely i'd go to texas in a heartbeat that kind of happened from there hey guys before we get into sort of talking about you the the event that is uh making news everywhere 
and that's the golf event. What do you think the the health of the game of golf is like in Canada at the moment? And and the you know just the at the the very top, we talk about the Canadian Soccer Association, and there's a lot of criticism sometimes toward them and how they run things. How is the how is it with golf these days in Canada and the the health of the sport? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I don't know if I'm as close to it as I as I once was, but but when we were running amateur when I was part of the amateur championships team and running that we, you know, we had five or six other staff members and we developed what was called the future links junior series at the time. I mean, Canadians are golf crazed. I mean, they really are. And, and I think, you know, deep down somewhere, there's a per capita number that identifies golf in Canada as the number one sport for, for golf globally. Um, I just think there's probably, a business model change that needs to happen with, with golf Canada. I mean, they, they collect dues from, from private clubs and, and, and the dues that are collected from private clubs go to offset the provincial golf association expenses and, and then the national body, but you're leaving out a massive segment of, of, of me or you or the non member of a private club in Canada. And that's a big number. So I think at the time when I was there too, they started player development under Doug Roxborough. We're, we're seeing the successes of that with, with Corey Connors, Ben Silverman, Nick Taylor, Graham DeLatte. Um, you know, Mike Weir was kind of, you know, sort of our best player at the time. And, but, but I think golf's healthy. I mean, I think it's just like anything else. It's time consuming. So how can we make it faster? Um, but you know, somebody said today earlier they play 120 rounds of golf a year. I mean, we can play all year round here in Texas, and I probably play 25 times. So I think Canadians are crazed. Um, but it's just a small market from a, a business perspective. But I don't know. I'm not that close to it as I, I once was. But it seems healthy to me. But just like anything else, the governing body probably is under the microscope, and everybody's got their point of view, and every provincial. Golf Association has its own agenda, so there's conflicting sort of thoughts and processes and agendas there. But, I mean, I think it's probably fine, but I don't know. That's just me being a Canadian sort of watching it from afar. Well, that's, uh, Craig is the one who pay, plays 120 rounds, and he, <laughs> he, he literally has taken money off me. Are um, golf open now in Canada? Pardon me? Are courses open in Canada right now? No, not at all. Are they open in Texas? That was going to be one of our questions. Yeah, well, in BC, they're starting to open up, I believe, next week. Yeah. The private golf courses, because they can manage the private golf courses. But uh, I'm not sure if the public courses will be open. But they're certainly on the West Coast. They're in better shape than uh, we are here in Ontario, for sure. Well, we just found out, too. Uh, I was talking to Mike before the show. Um, their schools are closed till the 31st of May now. So I know, uh, Danny and I and James all have, you know, kids in public school. So we've got another month and a week of, uh, hanging out with our kids in this, uh, kind of lockdown. So lots of challenges with that, obviously. And then it's summer holidays. Yeah. Well, I would like that. I'd like the kids to go back to school to get their, you know, hang out with their friends. Um, it's driving me a little nuts, to be honest. Uh, I was going to say, guys, now that we've covered your, some of the background, how did we get to the point where you're, the tournament that's supposed to be taking place 
mid-May or uh, close to mid-May, a little, a couple weeks after. How did it get chosen, and how did you guys jump through hoops to get to the place that you are right now? Yeah, you know, when we when it was Friday of, of the Players' Championship at Sawgrass, which really sort of kicks the golf season off, which, which is considered the fifth major, um, and, and Jay Monahan said, you know, we're just we're going to cancel uh, – before heading into Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then and then the next four events on the on the calendar were canceled, and and that sort of led up to Augusta. And I think the tour was waiting on on what Augusta would do, and they're going to postpone to the fall. So then the tour canceled the next four events up to the PGA Championship at Harding Park in San Francisco, and then and then that event has now rescheduled, postponed to to August. And we're the first event after the PJ Championship. So I think all eyes were on us. And we just sort of sat back. I mean, you know, Mike was communicating with sponsors. I'm communicating with Charles Schwab and the tour. So we were sort of comfortable with whatever was going to happen. But we didn't know. I mean, shit, we didn't know. So um, we got a call from the tour. And they said, we think we're going to push you guys, first event back into June, can you do it? And we, we quickly huddled as, as, as the tournament executive, Mike, myself, uh, our chairman, Rob Hood, our chief operations officer, Jim Lito, and those two guys are volunteers, and Mike and our staff. And we said, yeah, let's do it. So it was really behind the scenes that we committed to, to be the first event back. And then, and then the tour went to Harvey C., which is, which is in Hilton Head Island. And then they went to Connecticut, the Travelers, and then Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. And, and once everybody sort of rose, raised their hand and said, yeah, then they, they felt comfortable they could relaunch the schedule. So it was sort of, Dan, by lucky by chance, by lottery, and, and, and a little bit of, you know, we've, we've hosted this event for 74 years at the same venue. So we've got a pedigree. We've got some institutional knowledge. We, we know uh, what it takes. And... And we felt lucky. It was probably more luck than anything, just given the how the schedule flowed. So there's no. Let me get this right. There's going to be no grandstands, right? Correct. No grandstands. No hospitality suites. None of that. So, Mike, Correct. from that from that standpoint, and from sponsors' standpoint, are they still on board 100? percent Are they looking for more exposure? Like, what's the, what's your world like? That's what I've been spending my morning really diving into, to be quite honest. Um, we thought we may still have some ancillary events, VIP experiences that we could still deliver, like pro-ams, right, up until probably Thursday. So that, was a, that, that would have really helped us with a lot of our relationships with, with those sponsors to be able to deliver that type of experience. But it's just too hard. It's too many health concerns. It's too hard to sequester players and have uh, individuals and a caddy coming to the golf course. So that was um, put aside. So I, I sat there for 24 hours and said, shit, what am I going to sell? Um, but, you know, if you think about packaged goods opportunities, for example, like official partnerships, a big part of what they invest in with sponsorship is the opportunity to activate 
in store. So like a beer company or a wine company or maybe an official snack. You know, I know Wander's done tons of promotions while where he's been in other places where, you know, it's those promotions are tied to sitting at home and watching a sporting event. Well, we've got to try and switch our thought process to that. How do we in a short time frame, five weeks, try to go to our sponsors that are more applicable uh, to some of those types of endeavors? And, and we have them. Uh, and then we, we're trying to design some other more COVID-19 relief um, related packages that you can just make a, a donation or, um, or or something that shows that you're supportive of you know, the Fort Worth small business community, uh, the relief efforts that are going on in, in Tarrant County. Our mayor is very supportive of this event. So is the governor. So we're, we're really restructuring that to be the focus, uh, using the event as the platform to get the word out. That's, that's also really becoming part of every sponsorship I'm designing right now. And a lot of digital assets. Is part of the converse is part of the conversation knowing too that this is potentially the first sporting event that's going to be on TV and the eyeballs should be it should be through the roof as you could imagine. I mean, you could put anything on right now, but to put a put a big sporting professional event on, it's gonna be this should be massive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a title sponsor too that's very much involved, uh, Charles Schwab, who Michael really deals with more. I sell everything underneath that sort of umbrella. Um, and they're a hundred percent behind making this first class that it will focus on um, helping the community and helping those healthcare workers, helping the first responders um, and using the game to really focus there. Just like, I don't know if you've watched the NFL draft, but the draft a thon and there's constant communication on different areas of of philanthropic endeavor. And I think that's where we'll resonate the largest globally. Even we're, we're, we're talking about ways to through social media to, to come up with a hashtag for donations or through texting um, to support the tournament and show your support through posts, you know, that kind of deal. That's, so these are the things that we're, we're designing right now on the fly over the weekend to see where we could take it to market as well, just implementing them. The, uh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry, Craig. Uh, the one I was so the biggest thing I was thinking of was part of the liability, part of getting government on board. All of those conversations, Michael. Um, was that part and parcel of your job? Uh, who who were who was your wingman in government? How did that all work out? Because. Obviously, it's municipal, state, PGA, unions, all the all the above have to, you know, the play, the, the the PGA Players Association have to be on top of that. How did how did that all work out, and how did you get here? Well, I think once you know, once the PGA Tour came to us and, and said, "Hey, can can you guys host June eight through 14? And, and then they laid the rest of the schedule out. We went to. We went to our lo- our mayor, and, and Betsy Price is fantastic, and she's she's a good supporter of the golf tournament. Mike put Mike drives around in a normal year, and she goes and visits all the suites and says thank you, and really is 
an amazing advocate for us. So, so we went to Betsy first and said, is there anything that you see right now that would prevent us in June from hosting? And, and at that moment, she said, not right now, but as we all know, things could change. And then we have a, a committee member that's a former chairman, former president of the club, a gentleman by the name of Elliot Garcik. And, and Elliot had some connections to the governor's office, um, Rick Abbott. So we reached out to the governor's office. And so we're, Dan, we're, we're talking to them every day, every week. We're shelter in place right now here in Tarrant County where where I reside and Mike resides and where the golf tournament is. And that's, that's till, in, in essence, May 1. And then a, after May 1, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen, but all things are leading to a, a, a resumption of, of restaurants, getting back open, um, still exercising social distancing, of course, but I think people are clamoring to get business back here in Texas. Our numbers are, I don't know them off the top of my head right now from a, a COVID-19 in Texas and what that dashboard looks like, but we're, we're sort of the third highest county, uh, Dallas County, Harris County, and Houston, and then us. But we, we, we're talking to county, state, and, and um, city officials shit every it's almost it's almost like it we're working harder from home under this scenario than we would have in the office it's just it's just different things we're focusing on like craig touched on it there's no infrastructure build but now we're trying to build a safe environment and uh and as of of right now we've got all 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 sort of political people behind us again the mayor the state and uh and city officials so we feel pretty good we feel pretty good about June, but again, anything could change. Um, and, and I think we're fluid enough and nimble enough to, to be able to adjust. Was there any pushback whatsoever? It sounds like everyone was on board because of, you know, they want to get back, but was there any of the health, uh, you know, the health system, the people from that side saying, Hey guys, that's a little too ambitious or was everybody saying, Hey, with the numbers we're seeing, with the curve going the direction it's going, we feel comfortable with this. I think from a, mes- a messaging standpoint, Dan, we were all comfortable with it. Um, but but I won't lie. I mean, I think there's some time. There's times where I go through. Uh, are we a little too optimistic here? But then you, you know, you kind of listen to the tour, and and they've got a, a toolkit that they're putting together for us, and and the things we need to think about above and beyond what we're already thinking about. Um. You know, I have a fortunate lens to talk to players, and, and guys want to get back at it, and they want to get back at it in, in a safe environment. So, you know, there's always there's always a group of people that are that will be probably critical of us coming back, and that's fine. But as long as we're providing a safe environment for everybody on property, and and when we're providing testing and we feel good about that then then yeah i think we're okay but you're going we're going to have we're going to have some people that probably are not in full support i mean having no fans hurts an awful lot potentially having no members of the club on property that hurts a lot um you know the economy is hurting people's lives are hurting but 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 i think at some point we have to all get back at it and golf's probably the best sport to do that right and, and, you know, we could all be on the ground there and we could be miles from each other. So I think we have that fortunate benefit. Um, but to answer your question originally, 
I think we're all on board. We all felt good about it. The players feel good about it. The tour feels good about it. Zing and I feel good about it. Uh, <laughs> that's the most important thing, right? Of course. <laughs> yes. How did the play? All the players are on board. You haven't heard any uh, pushback or anything from any individual players. And and by and and also, how about travel for them? Are they from wherever they are in the world? Are they going to be able to get to where the tournament is? Yeah, I mean, I think Texas has a couple travel bans from some certain states. I think New York and California. There might be a couple others. But, but I mean, you like here in the United States right now, you, you can hop on a plane and go anywhere as long as there's a flight. Um, I don't know what's going on in Canada. That might present a, a challenge for some of the guys who are in Canada right now that have, have been invited. But I think most of the guys that we're talking about are, are here in the States already. Um, at least that's the knowledge I have. But, no, I really haven't had any player that's been really – Nervous about it. I mean, J.J. Henry, who's from Connecticut, lives here in Fort Worth, went to TCU, Texas Christian University. He's like, man, I'm ready to get back at it. Ryan Palmer, he's ready to get back at it. I mean, Kevin Kisner, who won our golf tournament two years ago, who's on the player board, he's like, Tothi, we're ready to get back at it. And, and But all of them said they want to – and we have the responsibility to make sure that we provide a safe environment, and then the players feel good about that. I mean, that's the number one focus. If the guys don't feel good about coming to Fort Worth and being safe, then, then we have a whole issue of problems. So that, that's our focus. That's our number one focus. And the, and the only way to do that is, is testing and limit the bodies on the ground. Yeah, you speak about testing. Is that going to be a possibility for you guys? Because I know I've read something about that's what you're aiming to do, but you didn't want to take away the importance of testing frontline healthcare workers. I think by the time we get there, Craig, let's hope that we have that ability. I mean, I know we can get tests. There's there's agencies in Fort Worth that have raised their hand and said, "Hey, we want to help." I just I don't know if I understand the time frame of if I was tested today. Do I get results in five minutes, 10 minutes, 24 hours? And so I think we need to get our arms wrapped around that, and we will. And, and the invest in the advancement of that test should come a long way between now and, and the golf tournament. So, but that is, that's one of those big unknowns right now. Danny, I'm jumping. Oh, sorry, Danny, go ahead. Jump in and listen, I really hope this tournament goes ahead because we spoke about it on the podcast last week about the fucking need for sports being back on TV or just something being on for everyone to to look forward to. But we spoke about the players last week, especially in soccer and football, having that two to three week period. And Craig, you might be able to help me out here of getting back into rhythm. Do golfers need that as well? And if they do need that, where are they practicing? Uh, is golf course courses opening in Texas or in the States or driving ranges where can they possibly get back into that rhythm before they go into a tournament? Yeah, I mean, I uh, here in Texas, uh, golf courses are open, and okay. and you're expected to to exercise social distancing, and be safe. Um, I I do know there's some states where where guys do not have that opportunity to warm up. So what are they doing? Are they stretching? Are they putting and chipping in the backyard? Uh, is there a net set up? I mean. I think it won't take long for these guys to get sort of into a rhythm because they, they can arrive on property, let's just say Saturday of advance week, what Mike and I call advance week, and they can practice and play all they want. 
So I, I think they'll be fine. I think they're, there's going to be some guys that are better prepared and more prepared than others. But, you know, everybody I've talked to, they're, they're clamoring to get back at it. You know, it's not like – like I think the guys in the NHL, they're not even on ice. They're not even playing. I mean, we, we, Mike and I have friends at the Dallas Stars, and guys are not practicing. And they're not skating. So, so I think that sport, football, soccer, those, those are a little different. I mean, guys can come out and, and be a little rusty. But um, so, so I think it's just a little different than, um, than, than sort of those contact sports. I was going to say to Zing, Zing, what's your biggest challenge with kind of reframing this? You must have a, a boatload of sponsors who are used to being completely satisfied across the board with your approach. I've seen you, you know, I saw you zipping around with the mayor in your Facebook uh, ads, or sorry, your Facebook posts. Um, how are you going to make sure that these guys and these uh, ladies who have put their hard-earned uh, marketing dollar uh, into your tournament, how, how like, what are, what are you coming up with? What's different? Well, I, I was alluding to some of it, um, earlier i think from there's some official partners that we can transition those dollars or part part of those dollars towards like an official beer official wine official snack etc for those that say bought vip experiences foursomes to play with pga tour professionals we're looking at trying to do a fall charity pro-am where we invite say 20 pga tour professionals back to colonial so that we can still have that experience we just got to do it later in the year and that's a way to still deliver it's just not during the week of um and we're looking at some other ways to do that with clinics or you know we do a lot for the military and for first responders getting players to support us with say a virtual home donation ceremony for some companies that's a big deal so it's taking a lot of those uh, live events and trying to maybe push them back to other times in the year. That's for sponsors, Dan. From a hospitality perspective, we really can't make any adjustment there, but we can um, try to transition a percentage of those dollars to donations for COVID-19 relief to say, you know, I know we were going to do this. We'll refund you that, but would you consider you know, making a donation and then maybe we provide some signage on site for the year on our website, social media posts. Maybe it's some assets for 2021 that are included so that we can deliver on something this year and then give them some value even looking towards next year. We don't want to be so short-sighted too and just think, oh, we got to try and do this all this year. We want to maintain those relationships for 70 more years. So if it's a refund, it's a refund. That's just the way we got to go about it. You know, if we can't figure out a way to transition some of those sponsorship dollars, um, then, then we'll, we'll refund 100%. And um, we have really good relationships. I've spoken with 300 sponsors, small, big, uh, you name it. And, and they're very, if, if one thing, they're very hopeful of the event happening. They're so excited that it's going to be on television. So it's up to us to come up with some ways to engage that excitement, even if it's in a small way, and carry that relationship through to 2021. 
What happens for the, for the golf tournaments, guys, that, like, say, for instance, this gets canceled last minute and it gets pushed back. Um, for the golf tournaments that, that that's already happened to, does the PGA help? There must be some costs incurred here and some big expenses lost. Who, who's helping out? And does the PGA step in financially and help out the tournaments that are uh, not happening or being pushed back? Yeah, you know, I think uh, what's I think if you just to add on to Mike a little bit, you know, we've we've spent ten months getting ready for the Charles Schwab Challenge. So Mike's been working his ass off getting sponsors across the goal line, hospitality programs, branding, and then all of a sudden that's come to a halt, and now we've got to do what normally takes ten months in in eight weeks readjusting, and and so Mike's done five weeks. Job. Yeah, five weeks. I mean, it's amazing. But, you know, the events that have been canceled before us, um, you know, they have a lot of expenses on the outlay for the build, for sales, for marketing. Um, I think their conversations are a little different. You know, their conversation with the tour is, hey, here's here's what we've spent. Here's what we need help with. And I, I think that they probably have good relationships with their sponsors too, where they could go to their sponsors and say, hey, we're sort of three, four, whatever the number is, million into this. Would you be willing to make a, a charitable contribution to our foundation so we can keep our charities whole? So it's almost market to market, event to event, depending on the severity, Dan. But 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 the, the PGA Tour has been great. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I have to believe that they're going to they're gonna help each event, whether it's been canceled or postponed or, in our case, in the next three events after us, hosted, but no fans. Yeah, I, if I can I'm add sorry. to that, too, they're going to help. We have something called the Sponsor Value Program that we utilize every year, and that's where we're allowed to get access to a number of PGA Tour professionals in the middle of the tournament, just before they, sorry, before they tee off for the money. So Tuesday and Wednesday. And um, we utilize those to the maximum. We have lunches with PGA Tour professionals for companies in their tents. We have clinics, uh, meet and greets, you name it. Some of those assets are really important to some of the ideas that, that we have going forward. I think, um, that can be an alternative value uh, deliverable that we can bring at a later time. As well, I think we're going to find that a lot of the PGA Tour professionals are going to do a lot on their own for COVID-19 relief, use the platform of the tournament to do it on their own, to help the tournaments, to help the volunteers, and to help the communities where they go and play. So that's just the kind of group they are, and that's how the, the PGA's Tour built uh, the PGA Tour is built on giving back, giving to charity, and the players are essentially uh, the, it's, the PGA Tour is a membership organization for the players. It's a combination league and players association all in one. So that's that's paramount. You'll see that happening. I guarantee it. How many people or how many spectators would you have expected in this event over uh, the four days? One hundred and twenty thousand, maybe, maybe uh, if with the right, uh, you know, with with uh, a lucky marquee name or two, that could push to one hundred and thirty-five thousand, one hundred and forty. You know, one year. Have you guys that. got? Have you guys got your list of players? You know, the is there what? Have you got a good array of players on your roster? Yeah, that's just that's starting to get filled out now, Craig. 
And and I'll I'm gonna tell you right now, we're gonna have the best field Colonial has ever seen. <laughs> just because, yeah, I mean, just because guys are clamoring to get back, and and guys that might have missed us because they were overseas, or don't play after a major, or have a, a sponsor conflict, all of those are done. So I I think we're gonna have the best field we've ever seen. Now that now that said, there might be a couple marquee names. I'll use Tiger Woods as an example. You know, Tiger may or may not play us. Phil Mickelson may or may not play us. But that is their own decision now. There is no sort of conflict, scheduling conflict. I played three in a row. I can't play four. You know, I'm an RBC guy or a Rocket Mortgage guy. We really now can host everybody on our invitation list. We're, we're an invitational, so there's, there's about 18 different eligibility criteria levels for us. Yeah. And so – you know, we're we could see everybody that that has been invited play us for the first time. Which what's the dead? What's the deadline? The deadline is Friday the week before. So Friday five o'clock the week before. Oh, that's pretty late. June fifth. June fifth. It it is a little late, but we play. There's some games that that I play, and that is we 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 do hotel blocks, and we set rates for hotels in Fort Worth. The only way guys can get that rate is if they book through our office. So Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, we'll use Phil Mickelson as an example. Phil will make a housing request, and we've made a reservation. His agent will say, don't announce him until a week before. So I know sort of back of house who's playing, and, you know, Zingle will come in my office because he, he knows kind of the time frame, and he'll look at me like, okay, who uh, who's committed this week or who's committed <laughs> Bill coming. And uh, so that's a little game we play, but, but now I'm being really proactive because it's different guys, guys invitation level where they are with FedEx cut points and ranking. And let's just say money. That's not changing. It's flat. So now it's, Hey Ricky, are you going to play or not? Justin Thomas, are you going to play or not? John Rom, yeah. Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. Hey, are, are you guys going to play or not? So it's either yes or no. And we just move on down the list. It's not, well, maybe, I'm not sure about my schedule, which, you know, those right. are agent games. But so I think the field is going to be, it's going to be incredible. How does that work? How does it work with individual players when they go to every tournament? Do they have their managers look into hotels prior to, or does the tournament itself look after uh, accommodation for all players? And if you do, like do you, for Tiger Woods, for instance, are you, what are you looking at for him compared to somebody right down the, the pecking order. It, it varies. I mean, it, every guy's different. Um, you know, there's there's guys out there that make their hotel reservations themselves. There's guys out there that are represented by whatever agency that might be. They have admin staff that are that are taking care of hotels based on what they need. Um, we we used to do the the hotel game. Um, you know, if a marquee guy that hadn't played us before excuse me, wanted a hotel room, we would give it to them. But a number of events got burned by that from different guys. So we've just said, okay, here's the deal. We'll we'll give Kevin Na hotel for the week. He's probably the guy that doesn't need it, but we're going to give our champion the hotel for the week, and we're not paying for anybody else. And I, if I lose a marquee guy over it, so be it. Um, you know, Mike will tell you there's two guys on the PGA Tour that move the needle and sell tickets, and that's Tiger and Phil. And and everything else is gravy. So, um, 
if, if yeah. there's guys take it upon themselves to do it, I'll get a call from, you know, you name the player and he'll say, Hey, Tothy, what hotel should I stay at in Fort Worth? And we'll point him in the right direction or guys want to <laughs> stay in private houses or I'll get a call from, uh, the agency admin. And she's like, Hey, I'm going to book it today and I'll put her in touch with our housing chair. Hey, you mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> Phil and uh, tiger Craig. Yeah. I think what you're really trying to, to, to say is when is your invitation going to be posted in the post? Oh, indeed, you gave it away, brother. <laughs> what's your, Craig, what's your handicap? Well, I'm a, I'm a nine. The end of the season, I was about an eight last year, but um, I should be better for how much I play. Okay, here's the deal. You got you to gotta beat Zynga first. <laughs> and then you got, and then you got to beat me. And then we'll maybe start talking about, you know, <laughs> maybe start talking about it. Oh, well, good luck with that. You can't get, <laughs> you're never going to beat Zynga. Never. We'll do it at Devil's Paintbrush. Oh, Michael, right. you have it in there, don't you? Hey, yeah. hey, Mike, with a name like Zynga, you should be a football player. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to play for Puglia. Puglia. Somewhere <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Michael, when, when, Zynga, when Zynga mentioned refund... I thought we were going to see a, uh, a Allen Iverson moment. Refund? <laughs> we're talking about refund. Well, okay, Dan, we, we, you know, I don't know if you guys, uh, Live Nation just announced today that they're going to be providing refunds or 50% credit add-ons for all of their concerts. What we felt strongly right away, and this is below the, the sponsorships and all that, but the ticket buyer level, which is really important. We have a, we have a huge following. We sell tickets in 50 states and eight or nine countries is that we automatically refunded, gave them that option automatically. So many of those who bought online have already uh, received that. Um, we're going to reach back out to them with some ways to uh, provide uh, donations to support Tarrant County and COVID-19 relief. But um, we, made, we wanted to get out in front of that and show our support right away. Because the last thing you want to do is, um, I was holding Dead and Company tickets in Boulder, Colorado, in July, and I was like, "Am I going to get these back?" And I, I actually uh, just emailed C, uh, CU Boulder, and they refunded me. And this was in March, and I just felt like, you know what? Solid. I am going to go back there 100 percent whenever the time presents itself. We wanted to be the same way. We didn't want to play games. Some well, other schools have been criticized for that. No, that's, that's, uh, to, uh, you know, we've been in the community for 74 years, right? So I've, I've been with the event 10 years. Mike's been with it sort of eight, seven, but we can't alienate our partners. You know, the Fort Worth community, Tarrant County, really our core sponsor is within 10 miles, 15 miles of the club. And, <laughs> and we just felt like we need to do what's right and we really, we're, we're really going to them saying, what do you want to do? And, and Mike's done a hell of a job. I mean, that is no easy task. It's like, okay, Dan, Craig, Jeff, Lorenzo, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to put it in 2021? Do you want a full refund? Do you want to be part of our tailgate package? Do you want some branding yes. at the website? What, you know, <laughs> you know we'll send you a pack of beer. <laughs> All right, yes. 
The, the, put yes. me up for the tailgate. Yeah. That's good. It's an open canvas, so if you have any ideas, we might even implement them. <laughs> package. But you got to beat him at golf first, Jeff. You got no chance of that. Okay. <laughs> if it's if we're talking golden tea, I got this. Okay. <laughs> and those are those are good ideas. I mean, you know, they Colin Morikawa and another PGA Tour player were playing TPC Louisiana uh, online. And uh, that fans were watching it last week because the Zurich Classic at TPC Louisiana was last week. So this week, that really goes to where is this all going in the future, guys? Virtual, what we're doing today, definitely. It's going to really accelerate a lot of those programs. Like, would there be something of interest, even if the players, some of them would be comfortable? I know in football in North America – they do halftime interviews. We never had that in England in the Premier League, nothing at halftime. And I know, Deech, that was something that was very odd for you to get used to. Um, but it would be something the players would think about in between holes to getting on social media, getting on a lot. You know, here I am waiting such and such, just giving a little blurb out to the and Because you can see how the social media thing's going and how quickly – um, I'll give you an example, really, with, uh, for what we're doing, me and Danny and uh, the guys have helped out with Conquer COVID-19, which is an initiative here in Canada that's been helped out by Ryan Reynolds, the actor, and then Haley Wickenhauser, the hockey player. Myself and Danny have got on board as well. Is that social media, without it, we, even, we would have never been able to put everything together as quickly as they, as they have. And the, the geniuses behind it knew they needed business, they needed medical, they needed influencers. And it's incredible how quickly that stuff just spreads and how you can get support very, very quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Social media, especially right now, digital platforms, our website, uh, our email marketing campaign, you know, Typically, we don't really employ a lot of those assets other than maybe social media in some big partnerships. But now we've had to reassess it all in the last, say, three days to say, okay, how do we really employ those assets and and keep a number of sponsors involved? Mm -hmm. Uh, To your point about players, uh, I was at Michael and I were at PGA Tour meetings two years ago in uh, California, and Casey Wasserman spoke who's an amazing, obviously, um, intelligent guy. He's the, uh, the Olympic chairman when it's in L.A. Um, he said that something he would like to see more from the PGA Tour is that player access while in competition and, and how do you get that sense of what they're feeling and, and conveying that to the audience. And, and um, I think, you know, we do have some live VIP experiences where you can walk inside the ropes and get a sense for this putt's potentially going to, you know, make them 350,000 or a million dollars. And you can feel the energy live. You can hear the conversations between the caddy and the player. And through social media, we could deliver that same type of electricity. And uh, I think it's going to happen. I think it happens. Especially for the younger audience, right? I mean, the older, I mean, golf has got an older demographic for sure. But for the younger audience, if they can connect to some, a Ricky Fowler type of guy, kid, you know, it's, uh, it's electric. Guys, leading, leading into this, I've been on a, a couple of phone calls this week with MLS, obviously with soccer and NBA, as they try to figure out how they can kind of save their seasons. I mean, MLS is a little bit younger in the sense that they've only played two games, but NBA are probably going into the playoffs. 
And the whole talk at the moment is about the stadiums being empty, but they're now speaking about having three to four people within the stadium with virtual reality headsets on. And they're talking about possibly selling, not selling, but giving these to season ticket holders, especially NBA, where they're having courtside seats and you're actually getting kind of streams live, whether it be NBA or soccer, close to the field for these season ticket holders that are kind of wanting their money back. So I thought it was a really kind of strange idea at first, but then I kind of looked in and I thought, hold on a minute, you're basically by the actual player. And I don't know if this could be suited to golf as well, where because of social distancing, you're having one guy at each hole with a virtual reality set on and you're either donating tickets or selling tickets in that sense as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think I think everybody has the opportunity to go to that whiteboard. Yeah. Throw every idea up there. We do. Mike is. I am. The players need to. CBS, Golf Channel, the PGA Tour. I mean, now's the time to, if there's an idea, a concept that no matter what level of crazy, bizarre, out of the, you know, out of left field it might be, now's the time to try it. Because yeah. the door's open for that, Lorenzo. But the, tr- the trouble is, Deech, about MLS is that uh, leagues like that depend on ticket sales. You know, sure. the, N- the NBA can get away with having empty stadiums because yeah. of TV. Yeah. Golf's got a TV deal, but the MLS they, they couldn't survive on empty stadiums. I mean, you they? look at the you know you look at the XFL. You know, the the XFL was I don't know third sort of attempt at it, and, and I I think they had the right model. Ticket prices were low. Family friendly, um, you know, focused on the fan experience more so than the diehard Cowboy fan or or Falcons fan or Bills fan or whatever it might be. But they didn't have, an, you know, they just didn't have enough in the tank to get through, you know, this this pandemic, this economic climate. So they're gone. They're folded up shop, and and they really had some momentum going because they were doing some different things than we've seen with. NCAA college football or, or the NFLs, but like to me, you know, I struggle because I don't, ha- I have zero involvement with the CBS telecast, right? Like the Saturday, Sunday, Jim Nance and, and, and we've all watched it, right? They, 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 they do the Canadian open, they do colonial, they do Zurich, they do the masters. If they, if they roll out the same telecast that we've seen year in, year out, they're missing it. Mike, every player, let's get some conversation going. Let's let's try some things that we've never tried before because we kind of have to. And, yeah. and, you know, the golf telecast, in my opinion, is boring. It's dull. So now's the time to reinvent that because there's going to be not only the golf fan, the sport fan, all of us, the stay-at-home whatever – Everybody's going to be tuning in to CBS on Saturday to watch our event if we happen to have it in June. And and if CBS rolls out that same old, same old, then I then I think they're missing the mark. Yeah, it's a good transition, Michael. I'd like to ask you one last question, and thanks for joining us. If and I know I know all of us would like to hear about any anything that you've learned going into this. That's you can transition to kind of the spectator arena sports what would you say to you know the league commissioners we just had the commissioner for the new uh burgeoning canadian 
professional league, soccer league on. And, you know, these are, what are your takeaways on how your approach has been and what you could actually, you know, if someone said, give us some insights about how to run our league, knowing that they have, they need to walk up at every game. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got you know, there's two there's two types of sports here. There's there's the non-contact sport, and and there's the contact sport. And so for us, we're we're non-contact, like tennis, like badminton. Um, and so it's different. You know, the athletes are not coming into contact with each other. They're not touching each other. Um, you know. In those environments, it's a little easier to keep the athlete protected, okay? So now let's flip over to soccer, football, uh, hockey, which we all love. That's a little more difficult to keep the players safe, but with the fan element in a close-quartered stadium, until we have testing, I'm not sure fans can be in those buildings. And And I'm making a bold statement, of course, but, you know, Maybe it's one of those things where your season tickets holders at at a Leaf game, they're now not having tickets to every game. They're they're every fifth game or sixth game, and there's nobody there's nobody on three seats on either side of them. There's nobody three seats below them or above them, and you're going to have to create bubbles within. And it's and it's it's ingress and egress. And I, I think to answer your question. I, I don't know if I can give anything at this moment. We're still so new at this, Dan, that we're still learning. And we're an outdoor sport. I mean, the, right. how does the caddy and the player interact in golf? So Ryan Palmer, James Evanston. James leaves his bag right there. Ryan goes and pulls the club. James picks it up. Nobody touches anybody else. There's no golf ball touching. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think truly until we have – until we have a vaccination for this and a vaccine and a cure, indoor sports and tickets and that traditional fan in the building is 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 really going to be tough. I think I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Dan, Dan I, the tough thing about implementing, I think Craig made a really good point about social media and trying to get fans closer to the players. I think that's where there's opportunity for us. I think we're just too. We don't have enough time. To, to really take that to where I would like to see it be. But I do think in a year from now, I'm going to definitely think about all those elements. Uh, for example, a putting green sponsorship where all the players are warming up. We could have Facebook live there at certain times of the day. Oh, here's Bubba Watson working on his putting and have a sponsor. Um, you can't put a logo in, in, in Facebook, but you could do a hashtag, right? So that's the stuff I'm learning. It's like, how do we, and, and that's with our competition happening. Um, I think at, in the market, off and on premise, there's still you can still do those those types of official partnerships. They're just not at the venue. They're they're activated in the market. So there's still that aspect for the ticket holders for those fans. It's making the TV experience I think more accessible. So more hours to watch more golf, let's say, instead of it's just two hours in the afternoon on Golf Channel or on CBS, it's 12 hours and it's it's cameras following groups and you're, you're, you're streaming it. I know they're already there. They have the technology. It's pushing that into a, a, a more uh, broader access 
for those fans. Okay, you can't all buy tickets this year. We're limited to whatever. But you can get this stellar package to follow your favorite players and be right there with them. And that goes more to what, what Craig was saying. Maybe yeah. there's an engagement element with those as well. So You know, the, the NBA, the NBA players just individually do such a really good job, I believe, on social media. They 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 promote themselves incredibly well. The following is incredible. And I know uh, Ian Poulter is really good on social media. Phil Mickelson is actually brilliant on social media yeah. since he's good. been doing it's changed everybody's sort of opinion or a lot of people's opinion on Phil Mickelson or just what he's done social media. So people love that feeling of connecting and, and something real about players. And is there any other players that are really good at it? Uh, Ricky Fowler's really good at it. Um, there's a guy by the name of Ben Crane. Ben Crane is, was, is really good at it. Um, you know, a guy that played kind of really quickly, really well, Right out of the college ranks is a guy by the name of Smiley Kaufman. Uh, you know, he, Fowler, Justin Thomas, they all kind of came out together. Smiley hasn't hasn't done so well recently. But you're right, Phil Mickelson, he just has sort of like somebody rattled his cage and said, okay, Phil, you got to get out there. And he's really done a good job. I, I agree with you. I think he's he's entertaining. And, and you're like, is this really Phil doing this? And it is. It's it's uh it's incredible. I mean, just think if Tiger could do that. If Tiger could do that, how massive it would be. He just he's he hasn't got that personality. <laughs> it is. doesn't come natural to Tiger, does it? Not that. Oh. And he doesn't right. have the legs either. The calves. The Mickelson calves. The calves. Hey, these guys know all about that, Jeff. <laughs> no, he does too. We had this conversation last week, and I said, "You got to see Phil's calves." Yeah, and they, they didn't. They didn't believe me. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, the guy Smiley Kaufman, he better be good at social media with a name like Smiley. He's a good dude. There's a there's a uh, there's a piece out there in the YouTube world of him and Ben Crane, and they went to a museum here in Fort Worth, and they're kind of going through the museum, and they're looking at various pieces of art, and they're giving their perspective and. It is flipping funny. So you'll have to find a Smiley Kaufman, Ben Crane. Um, I don't know if it was the Kimball or not the Kimball. Um, I think it was the Kimball. No, Eamon Carter. Eamon Carter. Eamon Carter. Right, right. Eamon Carter Museum, Smiley Kaufman, Ben Crane. If you Google it, there's a, a funny little piece in there, and they're both having a shit ton of fun. There's another one. They were the South African player that after he uh, finished second in all the majors. He was. Uh, he did a video of himself singing "Lift Me Up" or something like. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Short South African guy. Anyway. Oh, uh, Louis Eustazen. Louis, yeah. Louis Eustazen, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Anyways, fellas, we, uh, you guys, please hang out if you want to. We want to thank you for coming on with us today. Um, we we really appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck. Um, and if anything happens, please email me immediately so we can talk about it because we yeah. want to in the know. If and any- if you ever need anybody to come down and test the greens or, you know, the course, right. it's okay. You're invited. Forrest will, will travel. Anytime. You All right. Thanks so much, unlucky. unlucky, Craig. No flying. <laughs> uh, you know what this is all going to happen this is all going to go away Deech is going to take up golf he's been to the driving range about three times 
<laughs> what uh, like just out of curiosity um you know my dad's up there and he's really my only source but like what is the state of canada right now with with covid it is are are you guys getting your arms wrapped around it you know i follow it a little bit and, and my dad's 84 and he's just learning facetime so he, he knows more about what's going on in the united states i say well dad what's going up in canada and he's like well, I, I don't know. I'm just I just following Trump and this and that and whatever. So what? How's this? What? How's the country quickly from your perspective dealing with COVID and and are the numbers um, are they being managed? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, like the United States, from coast to coast, it's different, and everywhere in between, some people have got some provinces have got a better handle on it. Uh, than others. We're having certainly some difficulty here in Ontario. Quebec's been hit really hard. Uh, care homes have been hit really hard. Like I said, me and Danny have been working with this initiative. So we're seeing that the hospitals are clearly underfunded. Um, I mean, after this is all done, we're going to have to figure out as a country uh, how to lift up our healthcare service and system again, because they don't even have enough equipment. And a group we've been dealing with, uh, we've been doing this for two or three weeks there's still a massive shortage of PPE equipment. So our healthcare workers are left stranded. And why, where's the government? Like, why is it the civilians have to do yeah. this? And uh, that needs to change. The United States is completely different, obviously. And I think that we have a feeling here in Canada that our health service is here to, to help us and they're here for our health. I think in the States, you know, you're in a position where healthcare operators, hospitals are run as businesses. So first and foremost, you got a board of directors and it's about money and not so much health first. And I think that's kind of where the system has kind of failed in the United States as well. Um, but we, we clearly are underfunding our health system here and hopefully we can get to the bottom of it uh, once this is cleaned up. But uh, we're in trouble. We're still in trouble here. And for the, until we can catch up and protect the, everybody on the front lines, like you say about sporting events and arenas events, the, I don't see it happening until testing and the fact that we can get enough uh, PPE out there to, to, to solve these problems. And, and this accounts also for homeless shelters, women's shelters, and uh, all these different things as well that we've got to protect. So it's a, we're in a tough, tough situation here in Toronto for sure. Got it. Okay. Well, and especially I know they were talking about New Brunswick and uh, Saskatchewan opening up uh, 1st of May. So they're looking next week or a week in a bit. But I think you have to go, you know, province by province, state by state. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, there's, there's different amounts. And, you know, the curve in Toronto, as much as Craig is right, that it's still, there's still some uh, pessimism. There's also a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, just on transmissions. And it's the biggest part for us is the long care term, long term care, uh with with the elderly they're mm-hmm. they're getting decimated and it's uh mm-hmm. you know it really shows that we missed the boat on protection yeah, yeah. Our, our ic i think we're okay from an icu unit uh, perspective uh it's just uh, like we've we flattened it for the most part they can cope with it except they don't have enough equipment uh to deal with it in the hospitals they're short on those type of things so we try to help out with uh, anything from ipads so they don't have to go in to the or even two-way baby monitors that they don't have to go into the, the contaminated room to do something simple and then have to gear off, throw everything away. So it's a it's an issue from their standpoint still. Yeah. Got it. Okay. How about down there? How do you feel? How is it in Texas? Is a 
I mean, obviously the media is much different. There's very fragmented. It's uh, right or left, it seems. And people that follow uh, Trump are yelling and screaming and other people are wondering or wanting a little bit more of a cautious approach. What is it like in Texas? Well, I think, um, you know, we're, we're for the most part, we're shelter. So in our County, we're shelter in place. And, and I think it's worked. I really do. I mean, our, I haven't been into the office more than two or three times. I'm sure zings the same way. <laughs> I haven't been once actually. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're limiting interaction on the, to the grocery stores. Um, you know, bars, restaurants, movie theaters, gyms, clubs, um, they're all sort of closed at this moment. You can still play golf. You can still go to a park. Social distancing is being hammered into us. Um, in Texas, we don't have the problems with beds like other states do. And um, our governor is pretty aggressive, and I think he wants to get back to to, to generating some, some revenue in the state and uh, getting sort of back to normal. But, you know, you, you, it's, I think it's individually based. You know, it's one of those things where I, I, I'm comfortable going to the grocery store with a mask on. Mike might not be. Um, I, I don't know if I ever see myself going to a movie theater again. I'm not sure I'm going to sit in a, a crowded restaurant again. I don't know. I mean, those are things that we'll get to. Um, <laughs> But I think I think the media over exaggerates a lot here. You know, you've got CNN on one side, Fox on the other, MSNBC down the middle. Um, but I think it's it's you know I think the governor of New York is doing a good job. I think San Francisco as a city has done a good job. Um, I think it's kind of crazy what's going on in Michigan and Missouri. So it's really it's pocket by pocket, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think one other thing to note in Texas was the South by Southwest festival when they canceled that, which is a huge festival in Austin. And my daughter goes to the university of Texas. Um, so she was in Austin at the time. I think pulling the plug on that event was very important to probably containing an outbreak here in, in Texas. It's, Unlike New York and California, you don't have as many people traveling to DFW and San Antonio. Maybe Houston gets a little bit more traffic because of the energy sector. But that event gets so many people to the state of Texas from places that people don't normally come from, including L.A. and Toronto and you name it, and people in a variety of industries. And that take, they take over that city um, I think having all not having all of that travel inbound to Texas probably saved a lot of the spread here in Texas. So people called it crazy because, you know, it, it's such an economic impact to that city and that area of Texas. But um, the, the the president of uh, the University of Texas, his wife had uh, COVID-19 early on. So they'd already experienced it at a high level of leadership in that community. And I think, I think it was a smart move. Well, it, sounds, it, it definitely sounds like it was because, to your point, so many people, I, every like every entertainment and music person in Toronto goes down to South by Southwest, yep. and it would have just ballooned. So, anyways, right. fellas, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a Q and A with our team. You guys can stay on, but on all that happiness that we've been talking about COVID, thanks for that. Um, one of the one of the things we always do or try to do a little more is Q and A with Danny 
and Craig because of their years in the EPL and playing professional. So one of my questions was, and this goes back to Zynga, because I played three years at McGill and then one year at Concordia. So my big question for you two was, who did you which, – which good friend of yours, Danny, did you love playing against just to play against them? Um, to be quite honest, there was no friends when we crossed the white line. Really? None? <laughs> well, I didn't give a fuck if I grew up with a kid or <laughs> whether he was family or whether he was my wife's long-lost cousin. When we – when we go on the field, it's a battle. That's that's all it is. And then afterwards, we'll have a beer afterwards, or we won't talk. It's simple as that. So who did you love? Did you have a pal that you loved beating more then? Was there someone you loved beating? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a competitive sport. <laughs> what position did you play, Dan? Striker. And that was my next question. What position was Wonga, and what position did you play, Zinger? Wonger played defensive back. He played in a variety of spots. He was very versatile, believe it or not. He's no trap. No trap. He was, he, he was left, left way out. He, and he, he actually returned punts, too. He, he did some of that. And he's very good at all. He, he, um, he may not look like the athlete he once was now, but when we were that age, he had wheels, and he was really tough. Um, and he, uh, he was, he was a good player to play with. I played running back and, um, uh, we, we had a really good backfield in 87 before me getting there with a guy named Mike souls. Who's fantastic has Lou Gehrig's disease now, but was the CFL. I don't know if he's a CFL hall of famer, but he's, he's probably could have been as a Canadian. Um, and then we had another guy from Ottawa that Dan went to high school with named Jerry Eiffel, who's a London school. London School of Economics graduate, right, Dan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was fantastic. Could have played for Penn State, could have played for anybody south of the board, both of them. So my claim to fame in 87 was there was 10 rookies or freshmen that all got cut, and I made uh, the backfield. I didn't start a whole lot. I stressed for only a handful of games. But I got to play with some really talented guys and um, – but Trey was the most fun. Very talented guys. Well, when I played against you when you were at Concordia, by that time I was, I think, a little bit better, a, uh, accomplished player. And Wonger was tough. Like if you stuck your head in a, in trying to block him or do anything, he he had this unique strength. Uh, maybe it's the half Chinese side of him, but uh, um, <laughs> but because his dad was a strong guy. Yeah. Dad could, could arm wrestle you while laying on the sofa in his house in Ottawa and still beat you while he was one <laughs> hand on the on the remote control watching Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, if I could ask you, if you could play golf with any of the players you've seen on the tour, who do you like the most and who would you want to spend uh, 18 holes with? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, Arnold Palmer, obviously, he's one of my favorites of all time. I think if I could bring back Ben Hogan, I would like to because he's very uh, – I guess Tiger Woods and Ben Hogan are very similar personalities, and, and they approach the game the same way. If, if you're talking about marquee guys, um, you know, Max Homa is a great young player. He's awesome on social media too. He's super 
Uh, his caddy's awesome. Uh, there's there's some guy, Kevin Kisner is a fantastic guy, University of Georgia graduate. Again, a great great caddy that goes along with it. I think Brian Palmer. There's those guys in the top twenty, maybe not. I don't say Justin Rose or, or Rom or some of those guys because they're just so elite. But those guys just beyond that are, that are still just one of the boys um, that that I would put uh, put in that category. Just is, there, is there a lot of groups or a lot of players on the tour that they like being – they always like being paired up with one guy or some guys that don't like being paired up? Who would be a player that the players don't like playing with? Well, we did talk about Phil earlier. I think Phil- <laughs> I know Phil had that reputation, right? I think he has his call it supporters like John Rom because John Rom's agent is Phil's brother, and there's there's go- those that stable of guys that just like love Phil. But I think there's some others that 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 may not want to. And I wouldn't say who I think they are, but um, yeah. who are um, they? Who are they? Zing, say who they are. <laughs> I don't know, you know. I just sell it. I just use their likeness to sell it. So whatever. <laughs> I'm fortunate. It's uh, we're, we're we're lucky. We have a great uh, venue. We've been around a long time, but um, uh, and and our fans are really passionate, very passionate, which which gives me hope to still try and uh, deliver some some value this year, if possible. We're, is it is it a private golf course? It is a private club, but, okay. but how many members you have? Eights every year um, to to this event. So for a lot of people in North Texas, even though it's a private club, it's kind of like accessible. It's not like Augusta where they open it every year, everyone's there, and then it's it's pretty much lock and key for the rest of the year. People come around, come see the Hogan statue, buy Colonial merchandise, come and you know just checking it out. So. Um, it's it's a venue that people come to visit from all over the country. That's awesome, Mike. Hey, thanks a lot, pal. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys. Danny, Danny and Craig, one more thing. Sorry, Craig, I didn't get your uh, question about who you want, who you like playing against if you hated anybody. But uh, I want to oh, hear- go ahead. There's there's always one guy. There's one guy that I'd play against, like Danny. I'm much across the white line, but Jimmy Brennan. Yeah, he played left back. He was never going to score. <laughs> he's too busy looking good. That's funny. I mean, he's a good looking man. Yeah, but everybody else—they all want to leave stitches on you, right? <laughs> um, how did what's what's going on with Conquer COVID nineteen? The uh, drive for you guys. Give us an update on that before we take off. Well, uh, Saturday was the last. Uh, yesterday was the last uh, drive, uh, donation drive, uh, for at least the time being. So now it's just donation money that the the, the group has to, to buy equipment uh, uh, wherever they can. They they've got lines to do that and then deliver out. It's going to be a really busy week next week. Each, I think we're going to be needed to travel around different parts of Ontario. Um, the, the, the stuff has to sit there obviously for two or three days, four days. Um, <clears throat> to get rid of any viruses or whatever that's on there. So uh, it'll be busy Thursday, Friday, Saturday, delivering it to all places. I think they've been each of me around about 40 different cities. The group is uh, delivered to. Yep. They've been up really far as well. Timmins, Sudbury, as far as that. You've never even been up there, eh, buddy? No, never been up there. You know what? Maybe this week you might. I was going to say, you guys missed out. I, uh, I don't know if you see in the background here, but 
my kids made me get this. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Danny, I'm gonna we have to I think what we have to do is go really I looked like Bluto from Popeye. When they put it on, they basically face painted me. So it worked a little bit, like it, it is, but I feel about twenty years younger. So each doesn't give two shits. I'm just I'm fucking growing mine out as much as possible. I don't care. <laughs> uh, it was funny when Sharms called you upside down head. If yeah. you just switch you upside down, that's a great that's a great hairdo. <laughs> I'll be happy with this on top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> um guys, we never really said it to you, but uh super proud of what you guys are doing with Conquer COVID nineteen. It's amazing that you guys did that. Um you, you know what? You guys are both humble, humble cats, and I know the rest of us are super proud of you and what you guys have done. So congratulations! Thanks, and I really appreciate that, buddy. I really, really do. Um, but to be honest with you, it's not me and Deech and the people that you see. Uh, you know, even Haley and Ryan uh, Reynolds, who have played just a massive part in this. It's the people behind the scenes and these medical students that are just doing incredible work. Media people, lawyers business people. And to be honest with you, there's, there has to be a fatigue level here. Uh, you know, it, it's a draining situation for some of them are doing 16 hours, 17 hour days trying to put this, this together for, for helping. And it's yeah. not something that's sustainable. It's just no. not there. There's no, nobody's taking a bean for it. Uh, and they're doing it all from the goodness of their heart. And uh, it's, you know, they're trying to, trying to balance that their families work, um, all these different things. So, Eventually, the government's got to step in. Right. Well, Danny, I, I was just mentioning, the, you know, uh, Lecce uh, just mentioned that they're staying close to May 31st. And yeah. I know for me, my eldest was in grade eight, and it's such a big year to go from, you know, eighth grade or grade eight to high school. Mm. And I just want her to get that last month in, you know, the grade six, she can roll with the punches. But for grade eight, she's been looking forward to spending that last. And I can't even imagine for some some of your kids, Danny, who have these milestones. Yeah. I mean, my, my youngest one, he's, he's leaving junior school to go to middle school. So yeah. it's been pretty tough for him. Not, I mean, not for the school itself, but for missing his friends. It was his first school. It's where he grew up. It was our first school which all our kids attended when we first came to Canada. So it's kind of our leaving graduation as well. So we have that. Franco's graduating as well. Um, it's tough because I really feel that they're going to extend it even more then. But to give these these younger students that, that experience that, you know, that that's their lifetime. That's their memory for their lifetime. So I'm really hoping, like you, Dan, that... Yeah. They have some sense, and maybe even if they bring them back for the, just that one week, so they can say goodbye to friends who are going off in different pathways or different schools, or they whatever. just want to party. Dan, give me a break. They just want to. Party. <laughs> well, the seventeen, eighteen-year-olds, yes, ten-year-old, and a few other things as well. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, well. right, Jeffrey. Uh, happy birthday to Melissa. I saw it was her birthday. Uh, her birthday's tomorrow, but we had a virtual party for her yesterday. Nice. Can oh, you good. play us out, brother? I can play you out. Play us out. Play us out. Happy birthday to you. <laughs>
Well, this is something. Uh, do it without music again? <laughs> oh, my God. Hold on, hold on. I'm telling you, it's up. It's up here, but it, the, it doesn't last. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And... Good enough. This was Footy Prime, the podcast. With Danny Dicchio, Greg Forrest, and negative James Sharman. We'd like to thank Michael Toth and Mike Zinga for joining us all the way from Texas, the Panhandle State. Dan Wong, you did a great job being a James Sharman, and I did a great job of sitting here and drinking beer. (laughs) We'll see everybody next week. Stay safe and stay six feet apart.